Our text this morning is from James chapter 3, verses 13 through 18. James 3, 13 through 18. It should astonish us that God in his wisdom has given us his word. We could never have come to know him of our own efforts, but God has communicated to us in his word. These are the very words of God that we are about to read. So out of honor and respect for God's word, I would ask that you would please stand with me for the reading of the word. <clears throat> James 3, 13 through 18. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace, by those who make peace. You may be seated. What is wisdom? James has a lot to say about wisdom and so much practical advice on daily living that it represents something like the Proverbs of the New Testament. And yet I think as ubiquitous as wisdom is in the Bible, that many of us may have differing ideas of what wisdom is. If you were to do a word study and go through the words for wisdom in the original Hebrew and Greek, I think we'd probably come away with a definition that's something like skill for living, wisdom for living. You've probably heard the old saying, knowledge is knowing that a tomato is a fruit, but wisdom is knowing not to put a tomato in the fruit salad. That's wisdom. It's practically applied knowledge to our lives. But what do you think wisdom is? I think we have a lot of different ideas. Maybe you think of Ben Franklin, who had lots of wise and pithy sayings like a stitch in time saves nine or a penny saved is a penny earned. And you think those sound like proverbs and they're pretty smart, pretty clever. That's probably a wise person. So we may think of somebody like Benjamin Franklin as wise and having wisdom. But what is wisdom exactly? My mom have had a really clever piece of wisdom, which when I was very young, I think I was around five or six years old, I thought she invented this, and I thought she was a genius. It wasn't until years later that I found out that lots of people knew about this already. Uh, but my sister and I got a candy bar one day from the grocery store. Mom brought us home a candy bar. One Snickers candy bar. And being the older brother, naturally, I cut the candy bar in half for us. But being selfish, this thing is going to continue to cause drama, isn't it? Well, it's going to have to go sit to the side now. But being selfish, when I cut that Snickers bar in half, do you think I cut it exactly in half? Well, of course not. And as I reached to hand my sister the smaller part, I think maybe she had finally got wise to this trick, and she raised a fuss, and mom got involved, 
And I think probably mom recognized this wasn't the first time I'd done something like this. And so I'm sure you all know what her solution was at this point. You cut, she chooses. This was genius, right? I got the smaller piece of this candy bar, and yet I couldn't even be mad about it. The fight was over because who can dispute the fairness of this? I cut it in half. I got the piece that she didn't choose. It not only stopped that fight, but it stopped all future fights of a similar nature in the future because you can bet the next time I went to cut something, I did so with the precision of a brain surgeon, measuring down to the millimeter, making sure it was exactly in half. So this clever bit of wisdom that mom taught me not only stopped this fight, it stopped future fights. It made peace in the house, which is something I'm sure mom was just very grateful for at the time. And this is the aspect of wisdom that James is trying to draw our attention to this morning. One of the key attributes of wisdom is this ability to make peace, to bring harmony between people. And so that's what we're going to look at this morning because if you think about the world that we live in today, it is not a world that is in harmony or at peace with each other. There is all kinds of strife and division among people, whether they're on different sides of the political aisle or they're rich versus poor, or they're a black person versus white person, or a Hispanic person. There's all sorts of division and unhappiness in our world today. And so we need to understand this attribute of wisdom that is peacemaking. What we're going to look at this morning is I believe James highlights three things. Is first, the meekness of wisdom. And then James will turn his attention to what earthly wisdom looks like. And then finally, we will see what does it look like, this wisdom that comes from above. First, the meekness of wisdom. Look with me again here at verse 13. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. The first thing you will notice here is that this wise person isn't coming up to tell you about his wisdom. He is showing you his wisdom in good conduct. I think we have all met one of those sorts of people that we refer to as an armchair quarterback. Maybe you've worked with them or there's someone in your family and they're always that person who isn't doing the job, who isn't doing the work that you're doing, but they can tell you how you should have done it better. They are quick with this advice to you, and yet you look over and you think, well, if you know so much about it, why don't you join in and help me do it, right? We have lots of people like that in our world. When there's a big court case, CNN calls up their judicial analyst, and this is a person who is not currently practicing law usually, but they can tell you all about it. They are the expert. Or if you need nutrition advice, you don't just ask any old Joe Blow on the street, you go find yourself a nutrition expert, and on and on, and you find these people who are quick to tell you, and they will probably demand money to tell you the best way to do something that you are going to be doing. But the wise and understanding among you are going to show by their good conduct 
their works. These are not the sort of people generally that are eager to come share their wisdom with you. They're usually quiet and reserved and just go get the job done. In fact, these are the people that we should probably be seeking out. As their meekness means they are probably not going to come find you to tell you how you're doing it wrong. You will have to go seek them out. If you think about if you're having trouble raising your children, the world would have you go to some child psychologist or go buy the latest self-help book on child rearing. But perhaps the best person to find is the one who in the meekness of wisdom raised six children on a single income and barely got by and yet their children are now pastors or missionary wives or Sunday school teachers just living productive lives now. They've been there. They can tell you how to do it. Or if you need marriage advice, there's lots of experts out there ready to give you all kinds of advice on how you should improve your marriage. They'll give you 10 steps and you know in two weeks it'll all get better and you just go from one to the other. But the best person perhaps to get in marriage advice from is not these experts who are willing to tell you about it, but the person who just in meekness is sitting there with their wife of 50 plus years, who they're still in love with each other, nobody's killed each other yet, and they're able to give you some advice on here's what we did. They usually don't present it as, you know, you're doing all of this wrong, it's just, well, this is what's worked for us, you know, maybe give that a try because they present their information in the meekness of wisdom. And for goodness sakes, if you need spiritual advice, please do not turn on your television. You will not find good spiritual advice from the experts you will find on television. In fact, I would say as, as valuable and wonderful as some men are, like R.C. Sproul or Mark Dever or Kevin DeYoung, don't even go to these people first. As, as valuable as these men are to the church, they are not the person you should be consulting for spiritual advice. I would suggest the person that you need to consult first is the one who in meekness has been faithfully serving a small flock for 20 years and knows your soul, cares for your soul, and knows the best advice that you need. That is the person you should consult for spiritual advice. But if we... Turn our attention from those who serve in the meekness of wisdom. James then highlights the people who have earthly wisdom. In verses 14 through 16, he says, But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic, for where jealousy and selfish ambition exists, there will be disorder in every vile practice. It's interesting that James's contrast between those with true wisdom and the meekness of wisdom and those with earthly wisdom is that they have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition. One of the marks of these selfishly ambitious people is they are seeking their own will. When they see others get ahead, they are jealous of them. And they are always looking to advance their own cause, their own desires. They are bitterly jealous and selfishly ambitious. And then he describes this kind of wisdom that he says is not from above. He says it is earthly, 
unspiritual, and demonic. The earthly is the sort of wisdom that only looks to the things of this world. You would think of these people as the sort of religious experts that you will find on the History Channel who will tell you that the Red Sea never parted and they will find all kinds of natural excuses for how the Israelites crossed on the Red Sea and yet they somehow never can tell you exactly how the same Red Sea that was only three inches deep and so they crossed somehow drowned all the Egyptian army. They're always looking just for natural uh, ways of explanation when they talk about the star over Bethlehem, it's a comet or some other natural phenomena like a supernova or something. They're always only looking at the natural material realm. Their eyes are only for the things of this earth, for the material things that you can touch and taste and see. The next way he describes it is unspiritual. Now, the spiritual that James has in mind is the source of reason and enlightenment. By contrast, the unspiritual man, then, is the one who does not think reasonably like a man, but is unreasoning like an animal. And as an animal is driven only by their lusts, their appetites, their instincts, and they have no higher thought life, this is the unspiritual man. These are the people who only seek those things that will fulfill their own hungers, their own desires in this life. And he calls them demonic even. Now this demonic sounds very harsh, but it also probably brings to mind something supernatural. When you think of demonic, perhaps you think of a haunted house where there's something inhabiting it that shakes the pictures on the walls and threatens to do the inhabitants harm. But I don't believe this is the demonic idea that James has in mind. I believe what he is thinking of is the demonic sort of wisdom that Satan presented to Eve in the garden. As he says to her, did God really say this? And then he also turns her thoughts to the idea that if you simply eat this fruit, you will become like God. That is demonic wisdom. That is the wisdom that is earthy. It is the sort of wisdom that is jealous and ambitious that just says, I will become as God. I will get my own way. I will pursue my own hungers, my own lusts, and it only takes thought for how you will get ahead in this life and takes no thought for the spiritual, for those things above. And as you consider this, It sounds awful, and we see it in our world today. He says, where these things exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. When he says disorder, that sounds rather mild compared to the fact that he was just saying it was demonic. Disordered sounds like maybe they'll have a messy desk or something like that. They need to go clean their room. But in fact, when he says disorder, he is talking about tumult and dissension and strife. He is talking about overturning the natural order of things. And we certainly see that in our society today. Everything that is evil is called good. And those things that are good are called evil. It is a disorder. It is overturning the way things should be in this life. And it is the direct result of this sort of earthly wisdom. And he says it will lead to every vile practice. 
And you don't have to look far in our world today to see all kinds of vile practices, the sort of things that you wouldn't have even discussed in private just a couple of decades ago are now flaunted and celebrated. And if you refuse to celebrate them, you will be targeted, you will be persecuted. This is disorder, and it is all the result of this sort of earthly wisdom, this sort of looking only at the material realm and of being jealous and looking only to selfish ambition. And as horrible as these things are, we see them going on every day in our world. And I wish I could stop there for you and just turn you to the answer, but I have to remind you of whom James is addressing in this passage as he began it with, who is wise and understanding among you? And over and over throughout the book of James, he addresses my brothers. The book of James is not written to contradict the unbiblical Bible historians out in the world or to correct the Hollywood producer or the New York executive who takes no thought for the things of God. The book of James was written to people inside the church. It is written to people like you and I. And as we consider the earthly and unspiritual and demonic way of thinking, I have to confess that it's very present even in my own life. All too often, the main thing I take thought for is what is here in front of me? What can I see and touch and taste? It is earthly. So I will say things or think to myself things like, well, yes, I've prayed about this, but I need to go do something about it. As though prayer was not really doing something about it, I'm only concerned for what tangible efforts can I make. When I look to the unspiritual idea of this kind of wisdom, I'm seeking to fulfill my own hungers and my own desires. What do I need? What do I want? And that's what I most give concern to. Whereas the Bible teaches us that love considers others as more significant than ourselves. Love is always looking out for our neighbor. The selfish and unspiritual ambition inside myself is often, what do I want? What will I have? You need to meet my needs. And James would even describe this way of thinking as demonic. Because it is the sort of thinking that says, I will be as God. And I confess that I want to be God every time that I sin. I look at God's law, I look at his commands, and I say, I see the way you want me to do things, but I will be as God. I will do it my way. I will get my own way, and it will be right. This is a demonic way of thinking, and it is the same temptation that Satan presented to Eve the very first thing in the garden. Get your own way. Fulfill your own lusts. It is jealous. It is selfishly ambitious. Now, we can think of many examples. I'm sure you've seen them or heard of them, of churches that have split over silly things where people didn't like the color of the carpet or you, know, you didn't speak to this person after Sunday school and so now they're offended and people get angry and they want their own way. And if only our problems were all that big and obvious, then it would be easier to correct. But so many times they are the subtle kind of errors that creep into our own life where we think that we are owed something more. Where instead of loving our brothers and sisters, we are 
selfishly ambitious, and we have bitter jealousy when others get ahead. And I'm here to tell you that this exists certainly in my own life, and I think as we examine ourselves, we can find that we're all just as guilty. We all, in our hearts, really want to be God. What will we do? How can we possibly overcome that desire that is so deeply rooted in us? James turns his attention now to the wisdom that is from above. In verse 17, he begins to describe the wisdom that is from above as first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Oh, we need this wisdom that is from above, but what is it? I believe we are given the answer in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 22 to 24. Paul writes, For Jews demand signs, and Greeks seek wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Ultimately, the wisdom that comes from above is Jesus himself. He referred to himself as the one who is from above and if you look at these lists of qualifications, of descriptions of the wisdom that is from above, they described Jesus perfectly. It is first pure. That word pure is from the root word for holy. And it means immaculate, clean, and perfect. That certainly is Jesus. It is peaceable. How often did Jesus make peace instead of war? He said he could have called legions of angels from his father, but instead he peacefully submitted to his own death. It is gentle. Oh, so many times the Bible records the compassion, the gentleness of Christ. And he said, take my yoke upon you, for I am gentle and lowly of heart. He is gentle. Open to reason. This is the only place in the New Testament where this phrase is used, and it means something like, it's easy to persuade them to obey. They're open to reason. You can reason with them and easily so that they will obey. Jesus was obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. It's full of mercy and good fruits. This surely describes our Savior who came because he was so full of mercy. Impartial refers to the fact as James has already alluded to earlier and Daryl preached on weeks ago, that we should not be impartial. We should not be showing favoritism to others because of uh, what they look like or how they dress or their economic situation. Impartial judges only on the basis of God's word. It holds only to the Bible as the basis for judging people. And sincere means without hypocrisy. Jesus was utterly without hypocrisy. He was who he is with the Pharisee or with his closest friends. And so all of these descriptions point us to the true wisdom that comes from above. This is the wisdom that we are called to seek. And he says in verse 18 that there would be a harvest of righteousness sown in peace by those who make peace. Jesus made peace. As Ephesians 2, 
Verses 13 and 14 remind us, But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. Jesus made peace between us and God. God's wrath was deservedly ready to be poured out on us. And yet Christ came and by his atoning death, he made peace between us and God. And at the same time, all of us who are in Christ, we now have peace with one another. He has broken down the wall of hostility that was between Jews and Gentiles. And we are told that in Christ there is no more Jew or Gentile. There is not a slave or a freed man. There's not male or female. But in Christ we are all one together. We have peace with one another. Christ is the ultimate peacemaker. And as you look around you here today, you can see in the lives of each other this harvest of righteousness that Christ is reaping from his work as a peacemaker. This is the true wisdom that comes from above. This is the wisdom that we need in order to conquer the bitter jealousy and the selfish ambition that still resides in our own hearts. How will we get it? How can we get this wisdom that is from above? James has already given us the answer to this. Back in chapter 1 and verse 5, he says, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. To the extent that you lack wisdom, ask of God. He gives generously without reproach, and he will give you this wisdom. And the wisdom that Christ gives will not be this sort of earthly wisdom that breeds jealousy and ambition, but the wisdom that Christ will give us will be peacemaking, peaceable between us and pure. This is the wisdom that we should seek from God and he offers it to all of us simply for asking him. If we ask him in faith, he will give us more and more of this wisdom. This is the process of sanctification within us. As we ask for this wisdom from God, he gives it to us and he creates greater peace within us as we live in this kind of wisdom that Jesus demonstrated with his whole life. I want that wisdom. I hope that you want it too. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we come to you and I confess there is so much of this selfish ambition that still resides in my own heart. I know, oh Lord, how often I seek only to get my own way, to see my own needs met first before others. Lord, we have confessed to you our sins already this morning and had the assurance that as we confess them, you hear us and you forgive us, and we thank you for that assurance. But we need more of this wisdom. God, please grant it to us this morning. Give us this wisdom that comes from above. Give us this peaceableness for, between each other that does not seek our own but seeks the good of others first. Lord, help us to show this wisdom in the world that we live in, a world that is so divided and angry with one another at all times. May our lives, full of this wisdom and peacefulness, show them the power of the Christ that we serve. In Jesus' name I ask.